Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today, uh, our theme again is Redefining Success Jesus' Way. There's been a part one and a part two. And today, I'm going to bring this little mini-series to a close with a part three. And I'm going to do this around five questions. Actually, I tweeted and uh, put on Facebook an invitation to, re- to send questions that you have around uh, success and your struggles and challenges around defining it. So I, what I've done is I brought them together and put them into five core questions. And actually, what I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going to focus on a couple in particular and expand them quite a bit. So they're not, they're not all going to get equal footing because they do overlap. It's such a large theme. And it's been very interesting to me as I was preparing for this, how I realized this theme of success uh, is so wide and profound that we could easily spend a couple more podcasts on it. But uh, so here we go. Uh, Frequently asked question number one, what do I do with my envy? Uh, What do I do with my envy? And actually, uh, it came initially to me years ago with a, a young pastor who had a church of about 200 people, and he was just miserable uh, because his church was really not growing numerically very much, and it was thriving in, in other ways. It was a lot of fruit and a lot of mission coming out of his church, and people were, it was a very joyful community. But he had this envy that just stuck in his throat and his soul like a thorn, and he couldn't shake it. And it just made pastoring miserable for him and leadership miserable for him. Uh, and this question has emerged uh, multiple times to me over the years. And uh, the, the challenge of what does success look like in God when the world is pulling me to a success model that's so radically different. So let me begin by just taking you to, to Matthew chapter 6 uh, and frame the issue a bit. When Jesus talks about uh, prayer, uh, fasting, and uh, giving to the needy, and he has this introduction he gives to each of these three spiritual disciplines. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, And the same thing, when you give to the needy, needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, to be honored by others. And the same thing, when you pray, you know, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues to be seen by others. And this, this whole theme of being seen by others, and actually the word there is don't do your life to be a theater in front of other people. You know, think of a child that says, you know, watch me, mom, watch me, dad, and has a drive to be noticed by his or her parents. And actually, we all have a drive as image bearers of God to be noticed as well. Uh, But it's to be noticed by God. Uh, We are made to want to be noticed. And a hypocrite in scripture is someone who shows off, who is performing. And so it could have been a good thing like giving and praying and fasting turns out to be wrong because it's showy, it's ostentatious. And so, again, so humans are made to be noticed and want to be noticed by God. In fact, Jesus describes Judgment Day as the great rewards banquet of all time and that our life goal is to hear from the Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, And so our, our single goal as Christ followers is to hear the Lord say to us at the end of our lives, wonderful. Uh, and, uh, you know, think of the Oscars, you know, was the Oscars was this past week and the Academy Awards and Hollywood is a huge celebration. Think of someone winning the Nobel Prize or the Olympic gold medals and, and they're getting a, you know, they're being noticed and, and, and praised and, and that's, 
that's fine. That's good. It's, but the real notice we're longing for uh, is God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he actually calls us good. Only God is good. But yet at the end of history, God, Jesus says, uh, good disciples who make a good use of their gifts, who've done my will with their power, power and talents, uh, they're good and faithful. You know, they've, they've worked it well. And he says, come and see the joy of the Lord, this idea of an honors banquet. And Jesus wants to look forward to that, the greatest celebration of our lives. The thing is, on earth, we are not to be theatrical in front of people. Uh, we're to not appear to be something that we're not. Bible calls that hypocrisy. Our ambition in life is to impress him, the Lord, his notice. Uh, we're to be ambitious and passionate for him to say, well done. And again, it's the contrast is the major God of this world is success in front of people, impress people to be an outstanding preacher, writer, teacher. Uh, that That's called idolatry. And as you know, the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. But that is the great temptation before us. It's the God that fills our, uh, our the world and uh, churches and ministries and marketplace leadership is is being seen as someone who's impressive. So that is the great challenge. And when we're envious of others, it, it's touching something deep underneath us of wanting to be seen. And uh, so here's the key. The key is I've got to do the work before the work. In other words, I have to do the inner work before I can do this outer work. Now, think of Jesus, obviously um, incredibly free human being, not not struggling with envy, not not at all. Uh, he's just do, he's doing the Father's will, even when he's popular, when he's hated, when he's crucified, when he is you know they're singing Hosanna in the highest or saying that to him as he goes into Jerusalem, and because he's got this deep rhythm of silence and being in prayer with the Father and in Scripture, he's filled with Scripture, uh, and then he comes out and he's he's free uh, from envy and what people think and to do the Father's will. There's a very famous story in, from ancient China called the woodcarver, and uh, you can look it up uh, uh, on Google. But it's a fascinating story, and I want to use it for just a minute to get at this larger issue of the work before the work, because it's a story about a guy named King, K-H-I-N-G, and he's a master a carver, a carpenter. And he's he's told by the, the, the king, the prince of his time, uh, to make a, uh, a bell stand, okay, think of a bell stand of precious wood. And when he finishes, he makes it, and and uh, they, they say after he's done, everyone's so astounded, they say, this is incredible, this must be the work of, of the gods, the spirits, and, and the prince uh, uh, asks him, the master carver, what's your secret? And the story goes, he goes, I, 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 ha I am only a workman, I have no secret. But he goes, when you, when I, when you gave me this work, when you commanded it, I guarded my spirit. I did not expend it on trifles that were not to the point. I fasted in order to set my heart at rest. And after three days fasting, I had forgotten gain and success. And after five days, I had forgotten praise and criticism. And after seven days, I'd forgotten my body with all its limbs. And by this time, all thoughts of your highness and of the court had faded away, and all that might distract me from the work had vanished. I was collected in the single thought of the bell stand. Then I went into the forest to see the trees in their natural state. When the right tree appeared before my eyes, the bell stand also appeared in it, clearly beyond doubt. All I had to do was put forth my hand and begin. 
And if I had not met this particular tree, there would have been no bell stand at all. What happened? My own collected thought encountered the hidden potential in the wood. And from this live encounter came the work which you ascribe to the spirits. What's great about this story is is he makes the point that when he was he was anxious initially, he was given a work to do, make a bell stand. And you've got a work to do as a leader. And he acknowledges anxiety, but he sets his heart to get at rest before he actually even begins. And he talks about uh, taking seven days uh, to do the work before the work so his soul is at rest. He talks about my heart being at rest. And so he's forgetting gain and success. He's not worrying about people criticizing or, or being praised. And it's when he's anchored, he, he goes to the work, and he says, and the, basically the, the work becomes effortless because he's so centered himself. He's not even thinking about what other people think uh, or, or his highness or the fact that he could probably lose his life. And then as he, he goes into this effortless work, his, his soul and his role is connected. And uh, so in other words, the issue is not techniques. The issue isn't having the right hammers. The issue is his inner soul. And so when we talk about envy, we talk about success, the great challenge is to follow the way of Jesus and being so anchored in the Father that we are actually free from what people think, from even the temptation to be a theater, which is the great challenge of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. The God of success by the world standards and what people think had gotten in them, and that's why they had such a problem and tension with uh, Jesus. And, uh, and so we want to get to a place where we're, we're giving up all acting in front of people, whether it's super spiritual or super secular. In fact, sometimes people who are Christian act secular to show that they're not super spiritual. And uh, it's still theatrics, theatrics in a different angle. And that story of the woodcarver is, is one of the best I know to get at the, the core of the, of the secret of Jesus, in a sense, of his inner secret life with the Father. And the invitation in Matthew 6 is to have a secret life. So that we're actually free from gain and success, praise and criticism. And we're actually just lost in, in a beautiful way in, in, in the flow, as that famous book has said, in, into what God has, has got for us. But it's no small thing to get there so that, our again, our, what we're doing is not disconnected from our being, our inner person. Great challenge. So that's number one. Uh, that I take, make sure I take the time to do the work before the work. All right, second question. What do you do if you fear a next step or promotion or opportunity, although good, it may potentially prevent you from living some priority rhythms with your family and Jesus that you've got? In other words, how do you discern how to move towards uh, you know, success or this larger thing when I've got God's will, his way, his encouragement, his timing, and a person writes, I've got a lot of external encouragement, but I've got some internal dis, uh, indecision. And how do I know? Uh, uh, do I take this opportunity before me? Now, it's a great question. There's a lot of factors. But I have, I have three that I'll just give to you as I wrestle with opportunities like that where even I can see there'll be a lot of fruit. Uh, but I've got a way. Is this? Where's, where's God in this? So, one is I do ask the question, what will this opportunity or expansion do to my rhythms of loving union with Jesus? In other words, uh, I have limits. We all have limits. And so I've got to stay in that flow. And do I have the, uh, what will this do to my rhythm? 
of being with God, Sabbathing, etc. Uh, and again, in light of the limits of my time, my gifts, my talents, uh, my personality, my the, the the kind of scars I carry from my family of origin, which limit me. Uh, I, again, I like to say that you know I lost a leg in a war. Uh, I have a disability. Uh, I've got some scars from my family of origin. They're gifts, but they're also uh, liabilities, or I've got to take them into account that I'm deeply broken and I'm deeply dependent on God. And so, therefore, I want to be wise in how I move forward and what God has for me. So I, I am always checking my rhythms. What will this do in my union with God? So that's why, for example, for me, travel is limited. I do some, but not a lot uh, because it what I need in terms of silence and stillness and being and think time and reading uh, just limits my travel. I know others can do it well and love it. But number two, second factor is is not just my rhythms with God, but uh, Jerry, uh, my particular wife. See, it's not what does it mean to die for my spouse in general. It's what does it mean to be one with my spouse in particular. In other words, we're each, if you're married, uh, your spouse is one of your God's greatest gifts to you and how it impacts that relationship and how they feel about it. Uh, you're one flesh. And so decisions that are large, like taking a new opportunity, uh, that spouse has to be taken into account. So again, I, I'd never write a book without Jerry feeling like, okay, this God's in this for timing wise, because when you write a, I, when I write a book, at least it's going to really affect us uh, and certain rhythms or seasons of intensity uh, along the way of writing. So I'm very, very aware of that. And so Jerry and how it affects my marriage. And then we have four daughters and uh, one one son-in-law, one granddaughter, and another son-in-law on, on his way. So these are core relationships. And if you're single, the same thing with, the, with your community that you're closest to, how will this opportunity affect that and what God has for you? And, and the third is, what's my primary role? Uh, so for example, uh, when I was lead pastor at New Life Fellowship, there were lots of opportunities that came my way, but my primary role was to be a good steward of being lead pastor of the church. Now, I'm a, I'm a teaching pastor on, on, on the staff right now, and you know it's probably a quarter of my time is given to New Life Fellowship as a church. Three quarters of my time is, is serving you like on this podcast and serving the ministry of bringing discipleship that deeply changes lives around the world. Uh, but I am my primary role right now is bringing the riches of emotionally healthy discipleship to the world. Uh, it's not New Life Fellowship. But when I was lead pastor, uh, I had to say no to a lot of opportunities that came my way because my primary role was to steward being, you know, chief shepherd under the board of elders of these sheep. So that was a, that was a, so what's your primary uh, role right now uh, of stewardship that God's given you? And, uh, and again, along the way, I'm always listening to my body. I like to say the body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. And so the issue is in the tissue, as someone said to me recently. In other words, you're listening to God inside of you and how he's coming in terms of uh, in terms of anxiety, in terms of fears. And so if you're not familiar, again, with Ignatian spirituality, it's a great integration of listening to God emotionally and in your body uh, of discernment of God's will. And it's worth looking up uh, on, on Google. But you want to live the questions as, as you're in this process of, of, of what's God have for me. Uh, remember, God's not in a rush. Waiting on the Lord is, you know, a key biblical theme. And you, you, as the question is still unclear, the answer is unclear. It's a wonderful thing to wait and not rush 
and you wait for his plan to unfold, Psalm 106, 13, which I'll close with that verse. All right, number three, what do I do with my perfectionism that it feels like it's never enough? Uh, now, again, perfectionism is uh, comes from a not just a culture, but it actually comes out of our family of origins where we have this script that's deep in our bones where it's never enough, some of us, shame. Uh, and uh, I know it's deep in me, uh, and I came to Christ, and I preached grace, but I still lived law. And, you know, it wasn't okay to make mistakes uh, in my family growing up. Uh, I like to say if you drop the dish, you got a beating. And uh, so, so that's, that's antithetical to the gospel, which is a gospel of grace. And here's the, here's the script of uh, the gospel, which is it's human to make mistakes. You know, we're not God. It's human to make mistakes. I, I, I had to, in the early years in this journey of emotionally healthy uh, discipleship, uh, which started for me in 1996, I had to repeat that mantra and remind myself every time I made a mistake, it's human to make mistakes. It's human to make mistakes. That's what makes us a human being. And so when I would preach a sermon and I had 10 people say to me, fantastic, 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 and then one person would come to me and say, that was awful. And I'd be, you know, it, was, it wasn't a perfect sermon. There's no such thing as a perfect sermon. There's no such thing as a perfect leader. When you're in leadership, you're exposed to all kinds of critique. And you're always going to have a couple of people who are uh, ones on the Enneagram. They're perfectionists, and they will let you know the mistake you made. <laughs> and so you don't want to be defensive. You want to say, okay, I want to hear the critique, but I want to apply the gospel to myself, and that is it's human to make mistakes. And uh, But uh, remember, Peter the Apostle made a lot of mistakes. I mean, the guy... Uh, before John 21, betrayed Jesus. I mean, Satan he was speaking through him to Jesus in Matthew 16, but yet Jesus makes him the head of the church. And uh, I, I love the apostle Peter. So uh, what do you do with your perfectionism? Uh, you bring it to the gospel, and you it's going to be an, a, a big learning of, of your discipleship is remembering that it's human to make mistakes. Now, let me just build on this a little bit and, and go off on a tangent here, because I think part of the perfectionism, part of the way that we get, we're so hard on ourselves, has to do with what decade you are in your life as you listen to this. So, for example, if you're in your teens or your 20s, you know, in those decades, you're, you're finding a, and developing a sense of who you even are. So there's a lot of instability in those early years. Uh, by your 30s and 40s, you're maturing, and, and, and you're trying to find significance. These are tough years. You're, you, you know, that, that you're doing something worthwhile and make your mark in the world. You're, you're starting out. By, by your 50s, you're, you're starting to get some convergence and, and things are starting to come together. Uh, and, and by your 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, there, there's, a, there's a great sense of, if you're being faithful to the Lord, of fruitfulness just flowing out of you without, you even, without any effort. And actually, your goal is actually helping others to grow. And I've mentioned once before, and I want to mention it again because it's relevant here, and it's the great work of, of Robert Clinton at a Fuller Seminary. And uh, for decades, he, he did this work uh, historically and biblically on how God makes leaders. And he wrote a book called The Making of a Leader, NAV Press, which is worth picking up. But there's a whole Doctor of Ministry course done at Fuller on this, uh, God's process of making leaders. But what I love about his work, and I pulled it out and answered to a couple of these questions here, was I think where you are in your season is very important to give yourself grace. Certain things are just normal processes of growth. So, for example, Clinton talks about how in your early years, you're going to have some tests that are going to come your way, like integrity tests. And he gives the example of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Uh, 
or, or the obedience test. You're going to obey God's word, even if it doesn't feel like it's right and it'll be disastrous. And that, um, and so and if you don't pass those tests, you have to go back and do them over again. Uh, but they're very key. And so sometimes you're in stuff, and but they're actually like tests from God given to you. And then, then he begins talking about some of the tests that come your way as you begin to mature in leadership in your, and I would say you're in your 30s and 40s. Uh, that are very key. One, for example, he notes is spiritual authority. And if we don't submit, if we're not able to submit to authority, we're not going to be able to use it properly. And th- th- these are tests that come our way that are quite challenging. And uh, then he mentions a relational test when there's co- a conflict, a very difficult conflict, and how you handle that one. Uh, and then there's ministry conflict. Uh, and then he mentions leadership backlash where you're betrayed and people actually go against your vision and how you handle that. And then also a power test and how you handle power and how you surrender it as well. And and but what I loved about what I love about this, and I, and I bring this up about our measuring of success is we've got to get a larger view of God is forming and shaping us uh, for the long term, and that He's going to bring us through certain tests to pass uh, that are critical for our inner maturity and development. Because remember, our success is doing God's will, and. He's, he, he rightly argues the first 15 to 20 years of your leadership, it's not so much what God is doing through you. I mean, it's what God is doing inside of you. In fact, you're not mature enough. You know, it's in the early years to actually bear a lot of fruit. Even though your, your ministry may be growing, it may look on the externals like it's really tremendous. But the truth is, you're, you're, there's still so much to be done inside of you in light of what God's going to want to bring through you in your latter years of faithfulness to him. And so you may be in the midst of some testings from God, uh, significant ones that are very painful, and perfectionism, if you, without a large picture, will kill you. It'll just because you're expecting to be fly through these tests. And again, if you look in scripture, you look in history, you look at great leaders. Uh, no one flies through them; uh, they agonize their way through them. And God will bring divine contacts and mentors to you along the way, even a good podcast every now and then. And again, that's why it's so important that you get your discipleship straight. Uh, and that's why we focused, uh, our whole ministry is focused on emotionally healthy discipleship. And I want to invite you to, uh, you know, go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org, pick up the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Leaders Kit uh, with the courses in it, get trained in it. We do a monthly training and actually do it uh, yourself and your ministry because that is the foundation of long-term uh, success, which is doing the will of God and getting the rock-solid foundation in your life uh, for Christ. Okay, fourth question. What do I do? What do I do if I'm in a system or workplace or a ministry place where success is defined solely uh, by external numbers? And as a result, the context is driven and my soul is being destroyed. Uh, so, great question. What do I do if, if everyone, if my the system around me is destroying my soul? Uh, Parker Palmer mentions this doctor uh, who said to him in a meeting, I work in a healthcare system that has me on the edge of violating my Hippocratic oath several times a week. And the truth is, this is the first time I've even ever said that to myself. And so we're all working and living in broken institutions and systems and churches with men and women who are human in jars of clay. So uh, the question, however, is where does it get to a point where my soul is being destroyed 
and, and I need to exit that. Now, again, that's a discernment question. I, I think, again, of, of uh, AA meetings where you know, some, you know, alcoholics know there's certain contexts they should not be in and recognizing their limits. And again, it's, it's part of knowing your family of origin, your shadow. Um, I, I remember there was a, 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 you know, a couple of leadership conferences where uh, for a, a season, I just stopped going to them because I felt like they would crack cocaine. Uh, they got me all juiced up on vision, and I'm a visionary. And they weren't doing my spirit any good in my walk with Jesus at that season of my life. That's why some people in history, like the Desert Fathers, fled to the desert because they recognized they needed to get to God. So the key, again, is your grounding, uh, your grounding in Jesus. Yes, there are situations where maybe we're so weak, uh, we just need to get out uh, of that. But I uh, my preference always is, if possible, to stay in the situation like Daniel did in Babylon, be salt and light, and and create creative alternatives to live out God's definition of success and, and be a gift to the larger whole. Because it's very difficult for any church or ministry to be free from the God of external success, of measuring everything by numbers. Very, very difficult. So again, there are moments we need to get out, um, but uh, if possible, uh, stay uh, and get the kind of help and mentoring you need to be able to be salt and light there. Okay, last question, I'll do this one briefly, which is, fifth question is, what about team discernment of success, uh, whether it's a whole church or, or a whole ministry? Now, again, if you're going to do it as a group, I'm thinking of, for example, your team, uh, it requires that individuals have a base of individual discernment, uh, of discerning God's will, of radically seeking God's will above all else. So in other words, if you've got five people in a room, you want to discern a big decision about going forward on, on an initiative. But if there isn't the spiritual practice on a personal level of discerning God's will, surrendering your will to God's will, uh, how are you going to do it as a group? It's very difficult. I mean, you can do it as a training session, and but it, it, it's going to be challenging. And uh, so, again, there's small decisions and there's big decisions. Uh, if you, the bigger the decision, your team's going to need process time for planning, for talking, for praying, for listening. And uh, I, I like to provide space. So, in other words, if it's a big decision, we're not just going to talk about it once, like opening another site or planting a church or who we're going to put in this position on this, in this certain role that's a major role in the ministry. We're going to have you know, a discernment time, and then we're going to come back to it maybe in two weeks or a month, multiple times. Uh, we're not going to rush it. And I, I love Psalm 106, verse 13, which I mentioned earlier, where the Lord says, But they soon forgot what he had done. They did not wait for his plan to unfold. They soon forgot what he, the Lord, had done. They did not wait for his plan to unfold. There is a waiting for God's plan to unfold. It's not inaction. It's actually very active, but it's waiting for his plan to unfold. And uh, I, I'd say one of the larger problems in, uh, for many of us is rushing ahead because we just, come on, I just want to get this settled. I hate living in the ambiguity of this confusing in between. So, let me encourage you to go to our website, www.emotionallyhealthy.org. Uh, we have a great two-minute video there If you, uh, on the top of the website that gives you a nice introduction to the basis of redefining success Jesus' way in our lives, which is, a great, which is great discipleship. So watch that video. Uh, we've got a summit, a discipleship summit coming up at the end of April. And uh, let me invite you, there's still time to do the prerequisites. It's not for everybody. 
It's for those who do the prerequisites to actually prepare themselves for this global discipleship summit. We've got people coming from 15, 20 countries, as well as from around North America. We've still got a few spots available, uh, but it will fill. So uh, let me encourage you, uh, if you're interested, to sign up and come to that and check it out on our website. Thank you very much, everybody. It's been so good to be with you. And may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you wherever you find yourself as you're listening to this podcast. Amen. Amen.